Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about Steed Bonnet. Uh, another famous pirate from the golden age of piracy. A couple of weeks ago, we chatted about Calico, Jack, Mary, Reed, and Bonnie. And uh, in the wake of that episode, I actually had a couple of people get in touch asking for more pirate stories. And uh, one such listener, a bloke named Angus Bingham, uh, he suggested that I have a look at the story of Steed Bonnet. Now, I, I vaguely remember this bloke. After getting this email, I vaguely remember this bloke uh, from his appearance in the uh, famous uh, interactive documentary, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Um, but I couldn't remember. Couldn't really remember what his deal was, and and, and sort of rereading through all the stuff he got up to reminded me of, of how entertaining his story is. Most of his story was was recorded in the in the excellent but slightly incomprehensible a general history of the pirates uh, by Charles Johnson and Daniel Defoe, and that, that's pirates with a Y, by the way. So you know, it's a, it's a pretty classic piece of uh, early eighteenth century literature in that regard. It's also full of ridiculous run-on sentences and, you know, the S's that look like F's and capitalised nouns and, you know, more commas than you'd believe. So you can read it online for free, the general history, if you're into that sort of thing. And in it, you'll find the stories about, you know, everyone, Calico Jack, all the way, you know, Blackbeard, along with our mate Steed Bonnet there. So it is Steed Bonnet that we're going to be focusing on today. Uh, we're, going to t- we're going to talk about this bloke because he, he was born, the interesting thing about, about Steed Bonnet is he was born into, into quite considerable wealth, part, part of a very, very wealthy family. And he seemed to have just gotten into piracy more or less just for the hell of it, just as something to do because he, he wasn't happy with his life as, as it was. And, you know, with all the money that he had, he was very able, very easily able to transition to pivot into a different career path like that. And uh, yeah, he had a fair few, pretty fair few entertaining adventures on the high seas. So let's get to it and have a chat about what Steed Bonnet was all about. We're going all the way back to 1688 here, 1688, when young Steed Bonnet was born. We don't know the exact date of his birth, but we do know that he was uh, he was baptised on the 29th of July in 1688, so presumably uh, it was before that. Uh, he was born to Edward and Sarah Bonnet, who were very, very wealthy landowners, as I said, they're a very, very wealthy family, on the island of Barbados. So he's Barbadian. Um, uh, they had only over one and a half square kilometres of land near Bridgetown, which is the Barbadian capital. Now, when uh, Steed's old man died in 1694, uh, he inherits his dad's estate and his money. And so, as I say, he was extremely rich, even even as a, even as a very young man there. Um, but he grows 
grows up unremarkably enough despite this. He enjoys a proper education and, and seems to be a, a regular regular enough bloke. He's a bit nerdy, he's into his books, but, but generally nothing too special about Bonnet as he grew up. And uh, in 1709, 21st of November, he marries a woman named Mary Allenby and they end up having three kids together. So this is all, you know, it's all sort of panning out pretty normally so far. They've got young Edward, yep, normal name, Steed, okay, name a kid after yourself as well. And Allenby is the name of one of their kids as well. Just using the, the maiden name of, of Bonnet's wife there. Def, definitely a weird one, I'd say. So whatever. Anyway, poor, actually, well, poor Allenby Bonnet actually dies as a child, unfortunately, while the other two survived to adulthood. Uh, it actually doesn't seem like they had the best uh, home life because Bonnet uh, at the time was working as a major in the Barbadian militia. And uh, he didn't end up liking his wife all that much. After a couple of years of marriage, he he, he wasn't very happy with her. Their marriage was uh, was sort of you know not not the not the, the happiest one, as I say. According to him, it was because that she's going around you know nagging him about this and that, and he's just bloody sick of it. And, and he gets so sick of it, in fact, that one day he decides enough's enough. He's he's tired of getting the tongue lashing. He's tired of getting his ears chewed off. He doesn't want to be around her anymore. And um, you know, look, while the breakdown of a marriage can certainly impact people in in in, in different ways, there's obviously a wide range of very valid responses to the breakdown of a marriage and you know i'm not here to judge anyone for the way that they are sort of um deal with the fallout from situations like that but i think it's fair to say that bonnet took a pretty um unorthodox approach to dealing with the breakdown of his marriage uh, certainly approach we don't see too much these days because in uh, in early 1717 his enormous dissatisfaction with his marriage it finally prompted him uh, to leave his wife and run away and become a pirate which, again, is not something you see too much of these days. You know, rather than battling for custody and, and plundering the family estate and the courts, heading off to the high seas to battle the Royal Navy and plunder Spanish gold instead. It's not something we see too much of. But that is how it goes. Bonnet cruises down to the local shipyard, casual as you like, and he orders himself a great big 60-tonne, 10-gun sloop. Just like that. Talk about a bloody midlife crisis. This bloke... He's absolutely minted, as I say. So money isn't an issue, and the shipbuilder puts together this vessel for him. No worries. Very happy for the paycheck there. Bonnet calls it the Revenge, and he thus has his very own ship. Now, what is he going to do with it? Obviously, we know he wants to turn it into a pirate ship. But I will I will mention that this is a very weird thing to do in terms of in terms of becoming a pirate, in terms of becoming a captain of a pirate ship. Virtually every single pirate back then would gain a ship by capturing it or stealing it or, you know, inciting a mutiny or boarding it or, or whatever, right? This was how they this is how pirate captains were, were made. But here's Bonnet in his brand spanking new ship, bloody loving life, flexing on other pirates, you know, they busted up secondhand bathtubs. Excellent. He's having a great time. But it's not the only weird thing that Bonnet does, however, because rather than deciding to use the traditional me- method of crew payment, most pi- we talked a little bit about pirate codes in the previous episode about Calico Jack there. Um, uh, most pirate codes dictated that the crew would be paid uh, with a share of plunder, but, but Bonnet actually decides to pay his crew instead with proper wages, which was almost unheard of for a pirate crew, but people, I imagine, are pretty happy to you know have a, have a, have a decent uh, you know, week-to-week or month-to-month paycheck, so he gets together a crew of seven. 70 blokes, including officers. Um, and these officers are actually basically put in charge of the ship from the get-go because he himself didn't know diddly squat about sailing. He didn't know any... He was an absolute layperson, right? Unfortunately, this means that he's not terribly well respected by his crew, to be honest. But, you know, again, he's the one lining the pocket, so that doesn't matter too much thereof. So, loading up the ship, 
get the crew on board. They've got their, you know, they've got their money promised all that. The officers are ready to take charge of the ship and, uh, and uh, you know, guide them off on their adventures. And uh, with all that in readiness, Bonnet sails the revenge. Uh, actually, no. Bonnet's crew sails the revenge out of Carlisle Bay while he watches on rather uselessly and proves to us all, you know, he didn't know anything about sailing. So I guess the lesson here uh, that we're learning from Steve, uh, from Steve Bonnet is uh, that if you, if you never give up, if you follow your dreams and you happen to have a huge amount of money, you can do anything you set your mind to. You can even become a pirate captain, apparently. Anyway, this is just what Steve Bonnet is, in name at least. Uh, he orders the ship to, uh, to cruise up to the British colonies that would go on to become the US. And again, while the officers are in charge of the day-to-day running of the ship, he's still got a say as to where they go and what they're doing. And uh, Bonnet and the crew of the Revenge, they just start going to town on ships. They uh, Ships up around Virginia. They're plundering ships around the Chesapeake Bay and then head up to New York City after burning a Barbadian ship that uh, he plundered to stop them from going back to uh, Bay- Barbados and, and telling on him. Uh, he continues to, to plunders, plunder ships coming in and out of New York. And after having done this, he, he you know, and done, made a, a fine little packet for himself, really. He's planted quite a fair few ships, and, and his piracy career is, is going gangbusters already. He resupplies the Revenge, makes a, a quick stop off uh, in Gardner's Island, uh, just past Long Island, where he drops off uh, some of the prisoners that they'd taken so far, but then sails back down south to the Carolinas this time, where he does a bit more plundering. But for the first time down there in the Carolinas, he actually captures a ship and takes it with him. And he does this because... After having, you know, been involved in these, uh, in all of these encounters with other ships, all the plundering and stuff they've been doing, the Revenge is in need of repair. And so after leading this captured ship uh, to a small inlet on the Carolina coast, uh, he grounds both ships and gets the repairs underway. Now, this is a process, I was reading about this very interesting process called careening. This is what pirates had to do to repair the hulls of their ships, as they obviously didn't have access to dry docks, because of course they're pirates. And, they, you know, they wouldn't be allowed into use facilities like that without being arrested. So what, what would happen was the uh, the ships would be deliberately beached, right, tipped over onto one of their sides. That you, You'd use the rigging and the mast to usually tie it to something like a tree or a big rock or something to hold over on one side. And then with the exposed hull there, you could you could, uh, you could could repair it. You could use other bits of timber and, and whatever else and bits of equipment to, uh, to, to patch it up or to retar the outside of it or whatever you needed to do. Um, the other option, if you didn't want to careen a ship on land, you could do it at sea uh, by loading one side of the ship with all the heavy stuff. You'd move the cannons and supplies and all the ballast, whatever else, onto one side of the ship, so it would so it would tip up in the water and expose at least part of the hull out of the uh, above the surface of the water, um, and that could then be uh, repaired just like careening. And this was called a parliamentary heel. And uh, while I was reading about this, I I learned that in 1782, there was a British ship of the line, the HMS Royal George, that actually capsized and sunk while it was tilted over during a year like this. And it killed 800 people, right? All because one of the officers refused to listen to the carpenters. The carpenters came to this lieutenant and said, mate, you need to to, to bang on the drum and tell everyone to start moving the cannons over the other side. It's not stable. The ship is not balanced. It's going to tip over. And the lieutenant twice told this guy to get back to work, ignored what he said. Next thing you know, the ship's capsized. People are in, in trapped trapped inside a, a, a swiftly sinking ship and 800 people die. An absolute disaster it was. 
But Steve Bonnet not getting involved in any sort of nonsense like that. No parliamentary heels for him. He's just going to careen the, the revenge down there in the Carolinas. He runs it aground, careens it successfully, and, and repairs it by stripping that captured ship, uh, you know, for timber and, and that sort of stuff there. And so with the, with the, uh, the revenge ship shape once again, uh, Bonnet decides on a change of pace. He, he and his crew, they've done some very successful pirating, as I've said, over the last couple of months. But now they, they, they decide they, they want to take a different tack. They're going to, uh, uh, they're going to, you know, time to mix it up a little bit. And so in, in September 17, 1917, Bonnet decides to sail to Nassau in the Bahamas, where there is a flourishing pirate haven. This so-called Republic of Pirates has been around for about a decade or so. And uh, most of the famous pirates you've heard of were cutting about there at one point or another during their careers. And Bonnet reckons it's a good bet for the next destination for the revenge. But unfortunately for him, this proves not to be a very good decision. It is anything but smooth sailing down on the way to Nassau. The Revenge, while they're cruising down towards the Bahamas, they encounter a massive Spanish man of war. They encounter this big, big, uh, big, you know, Spanish warship on the way to Nassau. And the Spaniards, they hand bonnet his ass on a silver platter. Now, he does. Ma- the Revenge manages to escape the clutches of the man of war, but not before the ship is heavily damaged. Half the crew are killed or injured. And he himself, bonnet himself, is very badly wounded. So he makes it to Nassau, limping into port with his busted up ship, and uh, now has to take some time to recover, get himself back on track, because he's in a very bad way after this attack by the Spanish man of war. He has the revenge repaired. He replaces the crew uh, who were killed and gives the, the, the injured, uh, the people who are injured time to sort of, you know, convalesce a little bit. Um, and he himself also has to, to rest up and, and try to get himself back into good health after his, uh, after his injury, obviously. And while he was doing this, while in Nassau, Bonnet meets a few other famous pirates, including a bloke named Edward Teach, who had a very fearsome reputation for being a very cruel and vicious villain of a pirate. You've probably heard of Edward Teach because he's better known as Blackbeard. But despite this reputation for cruelty, I was interested to learn while I was reading about Blackbeard. He, had a very, he obviously had a reputation for great cruelty, a you know, very vicious bloke, apparently. There's not a lot of evidence that he actually was like this. He seemed to just use... The, I mean, he definitely had the reputation even at the time, but he seemed to actually play into this this sort of stereotype, this this thing that he'd been typecast as. He played into this reputation to its full effect so so, he, so as to scare people in, into surrendering. So pretty nice threading of the needle there from Blackbeard. All the benefits of being seen as cruel and vicious without actually actually ever needing to, you know, go through the ugly business of being cruel and vicious. So, uh, you know... I, I liked reading that. I thought that's a, that's a good way to run you run your business there. But it seemed like Bonnet and Blackbeard actually got on pretty well, very well, in fact, because uh, Bonnet actually gave Blackbeard command of the revenge while he continued to recover from his wounds. So with this bar- bargain struck between the two pirates, Bonnet and Blackbeard, they board the revenge with Blackbeard in charge of the ship, and they sail off to do some more pirating. In all honesty, this might not have been that different much different for Bonnet because, you know, he was a pretty ineffectual captain before Blackbeard came aboard the ship. But, you know, with not most of the crew not really respecting him as he knows nothing about the sea or sailing or whatever, with Blackbeard coming aboard, things really change in terms of, you know, the, the way the ship is uh, is run and, and, and again, the, the sort of the general atmosphere of, a, of, of piratical undertakings on the revenge there. And look, Bonnet's having a great time as well. You know, he probably was more or less in the piracy game just for the, the glamour and excuse to wear a fancy hat, so he's happy as well as Blackbeard takes the wheel and uh, and and you know takes charge of of the the endeavours of, of this pirate crew. And uh, the first thing they do once again is they decide to sail back up towards the American colonies and again go back to plundering ships around the Delaware Bay. And they have again an enormous 
enormously successful time doing this. It seemed to be, again, they don't, they didn't call it the golden age of piracy for no reason. Blackbeard knocking it out of the park, taking on all sorts of booty and prisoners and whatever else there like that. They snag over a dozen ships and they plunder all sorts of valuables. The captain of one of these ships, however, he gave us a little bit of insight as to the sort of power dynamic on the ship, actually. Um, uh, he, he wrote an account of what it was like to be pillaged and plundered by Blackbeard and Bonnet. And uh, he described Bonnet as a bit of a mess. Apparently, while Blackbeard and the crew were, you know, busy plundering and fighting and doing that sort of stuff, Bonnet was just kind of wandering around in his pyjamas. So obviously in a bad way after his injury there, hadn't quite, uh, you know, maybe wasn't, uh, you know, hadn't quite put put himself back together there. Anyway. He's not having the best of time uh, personally, but Blackbeard and the Revenge, they're having a great time, as I say, plundering the pants off the uh, off the West Atlantic there. They head back to the Caribbean in November, and it's here that they have a very important encounter with a French ship called the Concorde. Now, you've probably heard of this ship. Even if you don't realise it, you've probably heard of this ship because Blackbeard, after spotting the Concorde off in the distance, orders the attack captures the ship and claims it as his own flagship rather than just plundering it he actually takes it as a prize names it his flagship and changes its name from the concord to the queen anne's revenge now unfortunately i wasn't able to confirm whether he controlled it with a magic sword and i don't think it could shoot greek fire out of its front but still everyone's heard of the queen anne's revenge one of the most famous pirate vessels and encountered there by blackbeard while he was piloting or while he was captaining i should say captaining the revenge with steed bonnet so it wasn't long after capturing this great big new flagship that blackbeard decides that he's had enough of hanging out with bonnet who again is a bit of a debbie down a wandering around in his uh, in his night shirt however else all of that sort of stuff and so in december 1717 they actually decide to go their separate ways now we're not 100 sure on the you know what that decision making process was like but it is you know at the end of the day bonnet is left on his uh, on his own with his crew and the revenge there and unfortunately for him it doesn't end up going too well for him much of the crew after having experienced the leadership and the, and the you know the, the 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 expert level pirating that uh you know that blackbeard was doing there a lot of the crew aren't that keen on on hanging out with bonnet anymore and uh, you know the attacks and the plunder they kind of dry up in the coming months and, and by march 1718 Bonnet, uh, there's there's an encounter that Bonnet and his crew have with this enormous big fat merchant ship um, that is a total failure. The the ship manages to escape. They don't manage to plunder it. And at this point, the crew have really become so, so unhappy with this, you know, cashed up landlubber uh, playing it, pretending to be a pirate and, and being ultimately very, very ineffectual while doing so as well. And um, this is the start of a string of bad luck here for Bonnet because it's very shortly after this that Bonnet and Blackbeard run into each other once again while cruising around the Caribbean. And uh, at this point, things go from bad to worse for Bonnet. His crew are so unhappy with his leadership. Again, you've just got these rich, cashed-up blokes strutting about the ship with a big hat on, pretending to be ordering everyone around, knowing what he's doing. They run into Blackbeard, expert-level pirate. Again, one of the you know one of the biggest names in the business. And uh, his crew, the, the you know Bonnet's crew, so unhappy with Bonnet's leadership that when Blackbeard, well, behaves exactly like you would expect a pirate to behave in 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 this instance, more or less seizes Bonnet's ship. The crew go over to him straight away. You know, he comes over and he says, well, you know, you're not able to look after you. The crew want me to, you know, be in charge, that sort of thing. So you can come aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge as an esteemed guest, you know, to put it diplomatically. But Blackbeard takes control of the Revenge and he takes Bonnet, basically takes him prisoner, puts one of his officers in charge of the, puts one of his own, sorry, his own officers, not one of Bonnet's officers. Blackbeard puts one of his own officers in charge of the the Revenge and uh, Bonnet can't believe it. 
He can't believe it. He cannot believe that a pirate would behave in this way. His good mate Blackbeard, he stabbed him in the back, taken over his ship, stolen his crew away from him, and now has more or less imprisoned him aboard the Queen Anne's Revenge. And it turns out, quite hilariously, that at this point, right, Bonnet admits to not really realising what the pirate life was all about. It's not all yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. You know, Johnny Depp's nowhere to be seen. He hasn't met him yet. Bonnet has actually starts to talk to some of his loyal crew members and confides in them that he's just about ready to give up piracy. He wants to flee to Spain or to Portugal, live in exile. But bad luck, mate. You're stuck with old mate Blackbeard. You're not getting away from that. You're not, you know, you're a prisoner aboard the, the Queen Anne's Revenge. You're not, you can't just bloody wander off and swim to shore. Nothing like that. And Blackbeard doesn't want to let him either. Blackbeard is firing on all cylinders. At this point, you know, now with two uh, two ships in his fleet, he starts to build himself, a, you know, he build this fleet out a little bigger. And as 1718 continues, he captures more and more ships as he's out and about plundering. One of the ships, as a matter of fact, actually joins him voluntarily. He sees Blackbeard, you know, approaching. He knows what this bloke's reputation is like. And he says, oh, you know, bugger this. Uh, he just decides to, uh, to, you know, basically defect and become a pirate and, and so joins uh, Blackbeard's fleet. And later on in 1718, Blackbeard, along with his, he's got four ships at this stage and, and still with Bonnet aboard uh, as a prisoner on the Queen Anne's Revenge, Blackbeard actually blockades the port of Charlestown, which is known today as Charleston, uh, just like, and so he blockades the port just like the Union ships did almost 150 years later during the American Civil War when Robert Smalls uh, sailed to freedom in, in last week's episode. Some of you remember that. So... Blackbeard is blocked off the, uh, he's blockaded the, the port of Charlestown. He's plundering ships that try to sail in or out of the harbour, and he, he's ransoming any of the town's, town's inhabitants that were captured. And again, his reputation preceded him here. It aided him in uh, in getting people to do what he wanted to do. Uh, even though he returned all of the prisoners unharmed once their ransoms were paid, although you know their pockets were a little lighter after what well, you know before they were released, um, he manages to put the you know scare the living daylights out of the uh, the inhabitants of Charlestown and, and makes a fair bit of money for himself. Uh, doing this uh, you know managing this blockade here anyway after the blockade the ships need to be repaired they've under uh, they've uh, undergone a fair bit of damage and they need to be repaired and refitted and so blackbeard orders them to sail north to a place called topsail inlet which is uh, just near the town of beaufort which you remember from last week's episode as well with the intention to uh, to rest up repair the ships uh, you know and uh, and get things ready for the next adventure Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Unfortunately for him, however, unfortunately for Blackbeard, this doesn't prove to be a good move because while he's getting ready to careen the ships in his fleet, the Queen Anne's Revenge runs aground on a sandbar and in doing so is damaged beyond repair. So he's actually lost his flagship while trying to careen it for repairs there. So that's a, that's a nightmare scenario for Blackbeard. And interestingly, it begins to prompt a change of heart for Blackbeard as well 
as Steed Bonnet because, you know, we already know that Bonnet has had enough of the pirate life, but something had happened uh, almost a year beforehand that now, in conjunction with the loss of his, his flagship, is making Blackbeard rethink his career path as well. About a year ago, in September 1717, the British king, George I, had announced a general amnesty to all pirates who surrendered within one year. That means, or that meant, that if you went to a British authority before the 5th of September 1718 and admitted you'd been a pirate, you'd receive a pardon and that would be that. Blackbeard now, after having lost his flagship, is considering heading inland to the town of Bath in North Carolina to request a pardon from the governor there. Now, the problem is... Blackbeard doesn't trust the word of the uh, of the king. He doesn't trust that the governors will actually give him the pardon that he's apparently entitled to. And so he wants to run a little sort of scientific test here to see what would happen if a pirate heads to the governor, fancy hat in hand, and asks for a pardon. Now, he knows that Bonnet is keen to make use of the amnesty. He knows that Bonnet wants to give up the pirate life. So Blackbeard comes to him and says, listen, Bonnet, mate, how about... You go into Bath, you meet with the governor, and you get yourself a pardon, and then let me know how it goes. And to sweeten the pot, how's this? I'll even give you back your ship, the Revenge, so you can start anew as a free man. All right? All you need to do, go and you know, go and get yourself a pardon from Bath. Now, Bonnet, obviously 100% on board with his plan. He's sick of being a prisoner. He wants to head off there like that. When I say prisoner, I mean, it was interesting because some of the literature was indicated that he was a guest, but I was I sort of assumed that that was euphemistic. Maybe he was there because, you know, he didn't really want to be anywhere else, but it, it seemed like he well and truly had had enough of pirating. So whether he was a guest against his will or whether he was, I, I don't know, it, it, it remains to be seen. But what we definitely do know that he's he's absolutely 100% ready to, uh, to, uh, to jump back onto land, head into the town of Bath and ask for, ask for this pardon. So that's exactly what he does. He wanders uh, he wanders in to the town of Bath. He meets Governor Charles Eden and he asks for a pardon. Now Eden receives him. He hears the story of uh, what Steve Bonnet had been up to and he duly grants him a pardon. Brilliant. No worries. Easy game. Always had it. And now again, all the, you know, the slate's been wiped clean and Steve Bonnet is a, is a free man ready to go. Even better for Bonnet. Eden gives him permission to sail to St. Thomas, which is a Danish colony, and buy a letter of Mark to become a privateer for the Danes against the Spanish. So Bonnet now can go back, reclaim the revenge. Things are looking great for him. He's got his pardon. He's got permission to become a privateer. Just needs to go back to Topsail Inlet, tell Blackbeard how easy it is to get a pardon, jump aboard his old ship, sail down to St. Thomas to start his new life, and that's going to be that easy game. Blackbeard, however... You're not going to believe this. Well, you will believe this because you know what these pirates are like. You know what Blackbeard has done. In true pirate fashion, he has double-crossed Bonnet once again. Bonnet returns to Topsail Inlet to find that the Revenge has been stripped of supplies and valuables and then has been deliberately run aground. On top of that, most of the crew are nowhere to be seen. Blackbeard has done him again. He's absolutely got him a beauty. He's wrecked his ship and he's brought all of his, uh, you know, most of his crew along with him. Nonetheless, however, you'll be pleased to learn that Steed Bonnet is not about to give up after this. He and the men that remain behind, they actually managed to get, after some hard work, they managed to get the revenge back in the water. And after rescuing a bunch of crew members that Blackbeard had then marooned on a nearby island, didn't want to take him with him because he wanted actually to lower... You know how most pirates shared out plunder uh, by giving each each crew member a share? He wanted to actually bring down the number of crew members he had, so he marooned a bunch of them. And obviously, they're not very happy about this. Uh, they're very pleased when Bonnet comes and picks them up. Uh, and, you know, they're ready for the next adventure. And, and that next, I mean, you know, the next adventure, bugger privateering for the Danish here. Bonnet is now hell-bent 
on tracking down Blackbeard and making him answer for his treachery. And uh, in, in what must have been a very nice change for Bonnet here, the crew are absolutely behind him. They're loving this plan and they're all about what Steve Bonnet wants to do. Unsurprisingly, they didn't particularly enjoy being marooned and abandoned by Blackbeard. And so they're keen to have their revenge as well. So Bonnet, he sails off in search of Blackbeard in his very appropriately named vessel. But unfortunately... He's not able to find him. In fact, the two of them, uh, Bonnet and Blackbeard, they never see one another again. As it happens, Blackbeard headed to Bath after all and received his pardon too just days after Bonnet had left to claim the revenge, right? So they only missed each other by a couple of days. There's a very, very close thing indeed. Anyway, after a fruitless search... For Blackbeard, Bonnet now has got other problems to deal with. He's got basically no supplies left. You remember Blackbeard took nearly all of them. And he's got no way to get more without going back to piracy. Bonnet decides that he doesn't want to throw away his pardon just yet, however. And so what he does is he tries to hide his identity by doing some piracy under an alias, Captain Thomas. He renames his ship as well. It becomes the Royal James. And he doubles down on the trickery. He takes a different approach to his his piratical ways. What he does, rather than running up the Jolly Roger, he poses as a normal merchant ship. He signals to other merchants on the open sea to trade into barter, tricking them into approaching. And at least two ships fall for it. They come over there like that, and before you know it, out come the cutlasses, out come the guns, and Robert uh, and and uh, Bonnet, you know, leaps aboard their ships and and robs them blind again, pretending to be Cap- Captain Thomas aboard the Royal James. And uh, this once again provokes a change of heart for our mate Steve Bonnet because after having uh, done in these two ships there like that, he obviously gets, mm, oh, what's that? Mm, gets a little bit of a taste for that piracy once again. After having robbed these ships, he gives up on the alias and the trickery and uh, before the end of July 17 to 18, he's once again going about pillaging and plundering just like the good old days. So the ink has hardly dried on his pardon before he's off getting well and truly stuck into good old-fashioned piracy once again. He cruises back up to the Delaware Bay and he plunders another dozen or so ships just like that, capturing two of them as prizes before once again heading up into a small inlet of the Cape Fear River so as to careen and repair his ships. And at this stage, he's taken a couple of prisoners, but he's got a fiercely loyal crew who have finally got behind him. And, and, you know, at this stage, it did seem that he was a bit more of an effective captain. He'd even started to divvy up some of the the plunder uh, by shares, like like, uh, like other captains used to do, like other pirate captains would do at the time. And so things seem to have gone a little better in terms of, uh, you know, Steve Bonnet establishing himself as a, as a, a real sort of shiver me timbers type uh, proper, proper respected pirate. However, however, after having careened his ships on the, on the Cape Fear, in, the, in an estuary of the Cape Fear River, uh, the repairs are done by, uh, by mainly by the prisoners that Bonnet has taken while plundering ships. But at this point, unfortunately, even though Bonnet doesn't know it, his career as a pirate is coming to a very swift end. Uh, now, the Bonnet chooses to take a little bit of time out after having careened and repaired these ships. Uh, the re- a couple of reasons for this. The hurricane season is in full force, and Bonnet decides uh, to wait there for it to, you know, to blow over. And he's also been plundering ships like there's no tomorrow. So he wants to lie low, let the heat die off a little bit there like that. And so he decides, again, hang out the Cape Fear River for about six weeks, repair the ships. Uh, there's there's a small incident when a, a little riverboat comes across the pirates sailing up the river. Bonnet captures them too, the people, the crew aboard the, the riverboat, uh, smashes their boats to bits, 
uses it for parts and timber and in repairing his other ships and actually takes them prisoner, forces them to help repair the ships, which they're not too happy about. But apart from that, it's a pretty quiet time, right? Pretty quiet time. But it's not a good move, uh, ultimately. Not a good move there to try to lay low in the Cape Fear River because word has quickly spread that Bonnet is hanging out, hiding there. And this word reaches the ears of the governor of South Carolina, a fellow named Robert Johnson. There's this gang. He knows his gang of pirates hiding out near the mouth of Cape Fear River. And he's got a pretty good idea of who they are as well. He, he thinks it might be this infamous uh, Steve Bonnet and the captain, the captain of the Royal James that's been plundering ships up and down the east coast of, uh, of these, you know, these British colonies that would go on to become the United States in later years. And so as a result, he puts together a military expedition to go and bring them to justice, uh, even though they're technically in the territory of North Carolina. It doesn't matter. Johnson wants them dealt with, and he puts together this uh, this group of blokes to go and deal with it. A bloke named Colonel William Rett is in charge. He's dispatched uh, in command of two sloops and 130 militiamen, and he sails to Cape Fear River to deal with Bonnet. And what happens after Colonel Rett arrives has to be one of the funniest and silliest examples of naval combat in human history. Strap yourselves in because the Battle of Cape Fear River is about to begin and it is absolutely ridiculous. So, first of all, when Bonnet sees Rhett's ships arrive through near the mouth of the, of the Cape Fear River, he thinks that they're merchant ships ripe for the plunder and so readies a group of war canoes ready to send his men off to capture uh, these, uh, these merchant ships and, and, and plunder all the goods that are, that are inside there. Never mind that they're, you know, actually heavily armed British warships. No worries. A couple of canoes will do it easy. Don't, don't even worry about it. But as the canoes approach, however, before Rhett can blow them to bits, the ship that he's on, his flagship, actually runs aground in the mouth of the river. And this blocks out the other one and prevents an attack on the canoes. The blokes on the canoes, after having got close enough to see what's going on and realise these are military vessels, they turn around very quickly, you know, realise, geez, these aren't bloody trading vessels. We better get out of here quick smart before we blow into smithereens. They turn around and scarper back to Bonnet, completely unharmed, because again, this grounded warship, it's run aground and it's unable to attack them. So, Realizing he's got a potentially unwinnable fight on his hands, Bonnet readies his ship to leave. He gets the uh, he gets the Royal James, the, it used to be the Revenge, now it's the Royal James. He gets it ready to leave. However, right, he can't escape either because this British ship is blocking them out of the river. It's low tide, and he's wo- he's worried that he'll run his, his own ship aground if he tries to uh, you know tries to find a way out there like that. So. He gets all of his crew onto the Royal James and starts making a plan to get them out of there. Uh, basically, once the tide has come in and, and freed up and added more water to the estuary there for the, so they can actually make their escape. But the problem is the tide will come in after dark. And Bonnet doesn't want to risk sailing in this narrow, treacherous river when there's no light. It's a very dangerous thing to do. He decides, therefore, to attempt to flee first thing in the morning. He's going to blast his way through the British sloops all the way out to the open sea once the tide has come in and once the sun has come up. In the meantime, this shows you just how far into becoming a degenerate pirate he has become. In the meantime, he writes a letter to Governor Johnson promising to burn all the ships in the Charlestown Harbour in retribution. And don't forget... This is from a bloke who just a few months ago wanted to leave the pirate life behind and flee to Portugal. He's he's certainly bloody come around. No mistake about that. Anyway, the sun finally comes up 
Bonnet orders the Royal James forward and sails towards the mouth of the river. Seeing that Bonnet is going to make a beeline for escape and not going to try to attack, Rhett orders instead his two ships to take up position on either side of the river, kind of one on each bank there, one towards each bank, so he can blast Bonnet from both sides if he tries to sail, but you know, give him the old double broadside if he tries to sail, tries to sail between them. The British ships get into position, but while manoeuvring, they manage, both of them, to run aground. Yep. Both of them run aground on either side of the river. Brilliant, you'd think. Fantastic for Bonnet. He's got a clear shot at the river's mouth. He can go straight out between them while they're trying to get themselves, uh, you know, trying to dislodge themselves from the from the riverbanks there. But nope. While he was manoeuvring his ship to avoid the British trap, he also runs aground in the Cape Fear River. So now we've got three ships all having run aground, unable to fight effectively at all. It's like a bloody boxing match, you know, greased up ring with the fighters having their bloody legs tied together. It's a total joke. They're all flopping around ineffectively. But initially, this favours Bonnet. It favours Bonnet uh, quite profoundly because he's got a, he's got an advantage um, when it comes to the fighting that's going on between the ships. Obviously, the, the ships are all pitched at a point where they can't fire the cannons at each other, but the men take up positions and fire at each other with muskets. Now, Bonnet's ship is tilted away from the British, which provides them uh, it provides all the men on deck of, on the deck of the Royal James. It provides them cover because they can sort of hide behind this tilted slope of the of the deck that the deck is, deck is making there. So Bonnet and his crew, they're fighting hammer and tongs. They're getting stuck in with muskets, whatever else. And Bonnet himself is striding around his ship with a pistol, threatening to shoot any of his own crew members who don't fight the British. And some of them don't want to. Some of them know that they're only making things worse for themselves by fighting the British, but they know they're going to get a, a you know bloody bullet in their head from their captain if they don't do it. So Bonnet really has broken bad by now. The pirate life comes for us all, and Bonnet really has given into it at this stage, I think it's fair to say. But after a while... The tide turns against Bonnet and quite literally, in a very literal sense, he loses his advantage when the tide comes in. He's further up river, you'll remember, of course, the, the British ships are between him and the mouth of the river. And uh, so his ship is the last to be dislodged by the rising tide. The British ships are able to uh, to get themselves into position much faster than the Royal James once they get off the, you know, they, they're not, they haven't run aground anymore. And uh, they manoeuvre into position uh, to capture the Royal James very effectively, very efficiently. And as a result of this riding rising tide here, Rhett is able to approach and board the Royal James basically while it's still immobile. They're hopelessly outnumbered. And as a result of this, Bonnet surrenders to the British. Rhett captures the entire crew of pirates just like that, including Bonnet himself, and escorts them all back to Charlestown, arriving on the 3rd of October, 1718. Bonnet and his officers are locked up separately from the rest of the crew. Obviously, they're all locked up. They're all getting, you know, being prepared to stand trial. But Bonnet and his officers are being held at the private home of the town marshal, which is an interesting way to play things, I would have thought. But luckily for Bonnet, this provides him with a very unique opportunity. He knows a merchant in Charlestown, a bloke named Richard Tookerman, who was a smuggler. He worked closely with the pirates and he was a contact of Bonnet's. He almost certainly helped Bonnet and one of his officers, David Harriet, escape. Someone helped them anyway. They did manage to make an escape. 
uh, and it was probably this bloke Tukerman, uh, someone provided them with the supplies, weapons, canoes, and two enslaved local guides. So they got all these uh, these things that they needed, uh, along with these two people to guide them, out of Charlestown and, and try to make a break for freedom. On the 24th of October, therefore, Bonnet escapes with Harriet and tries to row away with the slaves in these canoes. He manages to make his way out of the town mar- marshal's house, get down to the the waterfront, get on these canoes with these supplies with these guides, and try. he tries to make a break for it. Unfortunately for him, however... The wind is against them and they're forced to land on Sullivan's Island, still in the Charlestown Harbour. They can't make it out. So, Governor Johnson, once again, after hearing what's happened, he sends off Colonel Rhett to recapture Bonnet, which Colonel Rhett then effortlessly does. Harriet and the slaves are killed in the encounter, very, uh, very sadly. But Bonnet, he surrenders and he's brought back once more to Charlestown to face the music. Now, this time... There is no escape. On the 10th of November, his trial begins in front of the judge, Sir Nicholas Trott. Trott has already sentenced most of Bonnet's crew to hang, and he was very ready to do the same thing for Bonnet as well. Bonnet, however, he's got other ideas. He manages his own defence. He calls and questions witnesses without a lawyer or anything. But of course, you won't be surprised to learn it's no good. There's ample evidence of Bonnet's piracy, and uh, one of his officers has even flipped and become, uh, become a witness for the prosecution. And so Bonnet had Buckley's chance, mate. The jury, they find him guilty, and Trot, after giving Bonnet a big, long lecture about what he'd done, he sentences him to death. And, I mean, sure, you know, that's fine. Hang the bloke for piracy, no worries, whatever. But the lecture beforehand? Come on, Trot, old mate, what are you doing? Don't torture the poor bloke before you kill him. Um, interestingly, if you want to read the lecture, you, you can do this. The entire lecture was recorded in the general history of a pirate's with a Y. Uh, you can jump online and, and read the entire thing word for word verbatim. It's, it's a nice little cure for insomnia there if you're, if you're struggling with that sort of thing. Anyway, Bonnet is sentenced to hang. No getting out of it, although, you know, of course he tries to get out of it. He writes to Governor Johnson, begging for clemency. He even offers to cut off his own arms and legs as a promise that he wouldn't go back to piracy. But it's no good. On the 10th of December, 1718, Bonnet climbs the gallows in White Point Garden in Charlestown, and he's hanged by the neck until dead. And I said before about how a wealthy landowner buying a ship and setting sail as a pirate captain, you know, is, it's an example of what you can do when you follow your dreams. And now that we finish the story, I, I don't know that it's the uplifting message that it sort of might have sounded like. I mean, you know, sure, chase your dreams by all means, as, as long as they don't involve pillaging and plundering merchant ships across the West Atlantic, because... Much like with Steed Bonnet, the Gentleman Pirate, it probably won't end too well for you, to be honest. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Steed Bonnet, Gentleman Pirate. And I will tell you what, this is not going to be the last pirate episode of half Fast History. I came across so many other interesting stories. I mean, this 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 uh, general history of the pirates is an absolute goldmine for ridiculous stories from this period of history. So I'm sure in a couple of weeks we'll be back uh, back on the high seas there and uh, and, and exploring the, the life of, of another of another famous pirate. I, I'd, uh, I think it's a pretty safe bet. Anyway, that's that for this week. Uh, if you're the sort of person who skips all all the boring housekeeping stuff at the end of uh, podcast episodes. Uh, goodbye. Thank you for sticking with us and uh, yep, see you next time. But for those of you who listen all the way through to the end, 
Well, you're the real fans. Thanks so much. Thank you so much to uh, to everyone who listened to the show. Of course, great to have your company week in and week out. Halfhousehistory.net. You can go there, find old episodes. You, you can subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify, uh, on Google Podcast. No, Google Podcasts. Yes, Google Play Store. No, haven't figured out how to do that just yet. Um, in addition to you know whichever podcast pipe you choose to pick, it should it should be available for you there. Let me know if it's not, and I'll see if I can sort it out for you. Uh, get in touch with the show if you like. You can send me an email. Uh, you can do this. Best way to do it is is at the website. The contact form is available there for you, and send through feedback or any ideas uh, for podcast episodes. Much much like Angus Bingham did in sending me in uh, Steve Bonnet as a potential uh, potential podcast topic there. Uh, a very special thank you goes to out to my very favourite listeners, the ones who give me money. It's not difficult to become a favorite listener all you have to do is go to patreon and start giving me money much like many many other people are uh, too and uh, i thank you so very very much from the bottom of my heart it's uh, it's such a privilege to uh, to make uh, you know this dumb podcast for people and, and have them give me money for it so thank you so much to all the people who are supporting me financial or, or, or otherwise you know every, all of my listeners are equal it's just that some are a, a little more equal than others anyway that is that for another week. Thanks for hanging out with me. See you again next week for more half ass History. Until then, of course, leaving you with a question posed on Reddit. Reddit Historian has a question. I mean, we talked about uh, the uh, the flagship of Blackbeard, the Queen Anne's Revenge, and Reddit Historian Ufiger wants to know, did Queen Anne ever actually get her revenge? <laughs>